The granddaddy of most of today's modern Mexican gangs is the Mexican Mafia, or La Emi, which means M in Spanish. Most of the time, people think of MS-13 when they think of gangs that come from south of the border. MS-13 is a violent gang, but they are small in numbers of the Mexican Mafia and its affiliates. In prison, the most numerous gang is the DC Black, followed by the Mexican Mafia. Unless you live in LA, the Mexican Mafia won't mean much to you. But if you work in any prison in America, then you deal with its members on a daily basis. I've done a few videos on members of this group. Watch more of my videos and you will run into them. This, this video is meant to help you understand the philosophy of the individual when I say he is a member of La Emi, or the Mexican Mafia. In the words of one gang member, I asked, why they call it the Mexican Mafia? He replied, Italians get a mafia, why not us Mexicans? That says a lot. Back in the 1950s when the Mexican Mafia got started, gangs were known by the name of the area they were from. So if you were from the LA housing project Hawaii Gardens, then the name of your gang was Hawaii Gardens. Or if you were from the 15th Street, you know, Burbank, then you were known as Burbank 15th, and so on. There was nobody who belonged to the God-given power of Mexico gang or some other grand name like that back then. Meet Louis Flores, known as Juro Buff. He got busted, or Juro Buff. Who knows how the hell you pronounce this stuff. He got busted and sent to Juvenile Hall in San Joaquin Valley. He belonged to a gang from Southern California called Hawaii Garden, named after the housing project he was from. Louis spent a great deal of time in the hood smoking dope, wearing loose-fitting clothes, and fighting with the gangs of the other hoods close to his. He was protecting his turf. His gang was helping him protect uh, himself from the other small-time hoods, both in and around his small bit of California real estate that he called home. But after 10 years in the California jail system, this small-time two-bit attitude began to change. You see, the gang was growing. With numbers came power. With power comes wealth and prestige. The authorities decided to break up the gang. They moved a bunch of them from Juvenile Hall in San Joaquin to the adult prison system. This allowed the gang to flex its muscle like never before. Legend has it that a black man tried to sexually assault one of the Chicano members. He cut the man's throat on the yard in front of the entire prison. This sparked a war with other black prisoners and the gang did better than was expected of them. Their vicious attacks with sharp objects put them on a map in prison gang circles. To stop violence, the California prison authorities again tried to split up the gang all over the California penal system. All this did was to infect every prison with a gang member that uh, he was sent to. Uh, the members began recruiting other Hispanic prisoners and teaching them the advantages of being a member. The idea of Hispanic gangs were introduced by the mismanagement of the prison officials. During all this coming and going inside and back to the streets, the idea spread to the streets of having one big gang, not a bunch of little weak gangs, always at war with one another. About this time, some of the gang met Joe Pegleg Morgan. Wow, an airplane. Pretty low, too. Morgan was an organized crime figure 
who grew up in the barrios of Los Angeles. He wasn't Hispanic, but of Eastern European descent. He had contacts in the heroin smuggling trade and though the through the young gangsters, how he showed them how to become like a real mafia worked. In the same way, you know, like John Gotti taught the Aryan Brotherhood how to use violence to make a better profit. Morgan taught the leaders of the newly named Mexican Mafia how to act like a criminal organization and not a loose-knit group of thugs. Things changed in the 1960s in the California prisons. Now, when a young Hispanic gang member went to prison, he was part of the Mexican Mafia while locked up. It didn't matter if his gang was at war on the street with some other gang. Inside, they were all brothers in the same gang, La Emi, the Mexican Mafia. When he was sent to prison, the first thing he did was report to the prison shot callers, and he was introduced into that prison chapter of the Mexican Mafia. It was a race thing, a way the Hispanics could make money, have power, and protect themselves from the white and black prison gangs in operation. They adopted the number 13, which is the letter M in the alphabet, as their symbol. You will see it written in many different ways in their tattoos. Today, the Mexican Mafia has its soldiers, known as Serranos, or Sereños, I mean, or Southerners, as it means. The, this differentiates them from the Northerners. Those Northern gangs, you know, are from north of Bakersfield, California. Norteños, if I'm not mistaken. Don't get me wrong, the different gangs still fight each other on the street. The truce is a prison thing. It's like my brother can fight with me all day long, but if an outsider comes in, we both fight him. That is the philosophy of this gang. White boys and black men, never members. Now add to this mix the fact that the U.S. has been deporting these criminal aliens back to the country where they were born in. I've met them. They are like lost wolves when they get set loose in their country of origin. Who is there to find them jobs, houses, and a sense of being part of a group of friends? You guessed it, the gangs. There are gangs all over Central and South America of people who used to live in America, but have been deported for one reason or another. They get picked up off the streets and are made part of the MS-13 or La Emmy. They owe a great deal of loyalty to the gang that helped them. These are the people who get into the revolving door of deportation repeatedly sent back just to sneak in again. They are grateful to the gang that helped them assimilate into their new surroundings upon being deported. I can tell you from my personal experience that a born American or a person who has little or no memory of any place other than America will have a shocking awakening upon being dropped into a third world country. Yeah. Uh, things here, they're, they're not like living in rural Kansas or something. The food, language, and culture take some getting used to. People will take advantage of the newcomer. I have to put up with that all the time due to the way I speak and look. But I can go home anytime I wish. I have a family and am known in this village. All advantages the deportee doesn't have. Don't get me wrong, I'm in favor of deporting criminals and jailing those that return. There's no such thing as a sanctuary anything in this place. If I do not comply with the immigration authorities here, I'll be jailed for a time, have to pay a fine, and be deported. 
No excuses, accept it. My visa costs $150 a year. The locals think uh, American immigration laws are as stupid as Americans are for having them. I know, they love to tell me about it. They get six months visas to visit here, you get a 60 day max, and then you have to leave or go to jail. I have to show proof of the ability to support myself, not so to get a visa to America. They get one and arrive with no money. They work for six months and go home rich. And they don't pay a single dime or any kind of tax. So much for the illegals paying tax theory. Here we talk about the facts and not some theory that some university professor wrote on his chalkboard. The real problem starts when these gang members return to the U.S. This place will harden you. Life's a bit tougher in the tropical sun. Now you have gangsters who have fought in various wars with fully automatic weapons using military tactics. They've been smugglers of people and drugs. They apprenticed in the command and control of criminal organizations steeped in the practice of corruption of local officials. Then they cross the border and train their local gang members in all these skills. This is what the police and prisons are up to or up against these days. Even in Central and South America, the Mexican Mafia holds sway. The name La Emi is said with respect here. Nobody badmouths them. It's not known which village a member might be in. How far does the Mexican Mafia reach outside U.S. borders? Who knows? But I can tell you the reputation is very wide. Even here, in this little village, I've heard a whisper or two. The real trouble was in El Salvador. In the late 80s and early 90s, the gangs were deported in what was described to me as a flood. The war was raging and these guys participated in it. They were trained to kill and ambush. That is what they took back to California when they returned. Most think that this was just MS-13's route, but that's not true. The Sereños did exactly the same thing. The difference is they were just a little less flashy about it. Now in our prison system and our big cities, streets, uh, we're reaping the fallout of old early decisions to break up gangs and move the members throughout the prison system. This is the mistake the feds are trying not to make again by the use of CMUs. But I have heard that, that uh, the new rocket scientists that are in charge of the BOP are going to try a new, soft, gentle approach to the gang problem in prison again. It didn't work before, so they think that somehow it's going to work this time. Most of the people who make these policies have not had to deal with the Mexican Mafia and its affiliates as I have. Most of these gang members are arrogant. They push one another to be more violent. There's a reluctance of gang bangers to obey even a simple order. They, they do not wish to look weak in front of their homies. They go out of their way to gum up the system. There is a constant static from these guys. I guess they're attempting to intimidate me or perhaps test me and everybody else that see if they can be intimidated. This is step one in the corruption of prison officials. In Central and South America, this is a common practice. It's so common that I'm surprised when an official, no matter how low, isn't corrupt. It takes a bribe to do anything that requires government approval here. The prisons are run by these gangs. Uh, guards wear covers over their face to maintain anonymity. Police lose their minds if you take a picture of them. They live in fear of La Emi and other gangs that are supported with American drug money. 
It's one reason I scoff at the idiots who say that drugs are a victimless crime. They should walk around here at night and feel the sharp steel blade of victimless crime as it punctures a lung. If they live, they'll sing a different song. This is not something I read in a book, but I live every day. You can believe me. Your illegal drugs are fueling all this killing and misery. Don't believe the lie that drugs are a victimless crime. I almost forgot to mention the Mexican Mafia is so powerful they receive a tax of one-third of all the illegal activities that earn profit from the Sereños. That is the same criteria to prove a government has control over an area if they can successfully tax the residents. That must mean the guys who live in the federal prisons in the U.S. have control over some little village you've never heard of and will never hear about. Let that sink in for a little while. The Mexican Mafia is a gang of gangs. There are only about 140 full-time members today and they are called Carnelas or brothers. Most of the members are in jail and prisons of California and the federal system. This small group of men control the activities of Southern California street gangs both inside and outside the prison fences. They can order a hit on other prisoners in jails and prisons, other members in and out of other people on and other people on the street. The Mexican Mafia has control over the entire California penal system. I mean county jails, youth correction facilities, and the adult prisons of all security classifications. The members are also divided up the proceeds of the Hispanic street gangs in Southern California. You know, they call it that tax. Often one member has control over the entire correctional facility whether he is incarcerated in a facility or not. He directs all the smuggling and takes a share of the profits as tax as well as collects the fines the Mexican Mafia charges for violation of its rules. He is also in charge of levying the fines, maintaining order, and if need be assigns persons to be assaulted or killed. In some instances, different members can control different sections of the same prison. Just like the Italian Mafia, the control of a barrio or prison facility is agreed upon by the members. The member organizes a crew to administer the area and remains unchallenged by other members. Now and then a dispute arises, it may end in violence, but this is rare. If an outsider attempts to move in, the guy is dealt with by a member and his crew, or if need be, by the entire gang. There are two major subgroups of the Mexican Mafia, a state and a federal faction. A member of the federal faction locked up in a federal facility can control any federal facility in the U.S. and perhaps a barrio in Southern California, but not a Southern California state correctional facility. Likewise, a member of the state faction cannot control a federal facility but can be in charge of a hood in Southern California or any California corrections facility. To get into the Mexican Mafia, the prospective member must first be a member of a Hispanic gang. He must follow the Mexican Mafia rules both on the street and while locked up, help the gang by assaulting or killing enemies of other members, and help financially support Mexican Mafia members. Members carry out their criminal activities with the help of associates. Some of these associates act as shot callers. That means they have the authority of the member to conduct the business assigned to them by that member. 
things like collect extortion money and taxes, run a drug smuggling operation or sales, and even kill somebody by the gang, you know, put a green light on. A facilitator is the highest level associate and speaks with the authority of the member who appointed him. A facilitator directs the activities of all the shot callers and makes sure they carry out the orders of the members. He is responsible for discipline in his crew of shot callers and other associates who are in the hoods or in a correctional facility. Members of Hispanic street gangs in Southern California are called Southerners or Sereños. They fall under the control of the Mexican Mafia. There are no independent Hispanic gangs in Southern California. Get that. There are no independent Hispanic gangs in Southern California. You are under the control of the Mexican Mafia or you won't live long if you're a Hispanic gang. Period. End of story. The Mexican Mafia considers Mexican nationals referred to, referred to as paisas and Mexican descendants who are U.S. citizens who are not members of the gang they call residents to fall under the control of the Mexican Mafia while they're locked up in a facility controlled by the Mexican Mafia. A few paisas and residents are made shot callers or allowed to participate in activities of the Mexican Mafia, but not very many. Now, paisas and residents, they have to pay uh, one-third of their income to the Mexican Mafia member who controls the area they operate in. This system of tax amounts to extortion in exchange for protection from the gang while engaged in drug dealing, extortion, and other criminal activities. The paying of taxes also offers protection when an individual enters prison. There's uh, not a difference inside or outside prison walls. Taxes ensures protection from the gang and by the gang. The Mexican Mafia considers a hood and a jail to be their territory and it is administered in the same manner with more or less the same rules. As I've said before, Sereños are the soldiers of the Mexican Mafia. It makes not one bit of difference if they're operating in a jail, prison, or a neighborhood. It's understood that all Hispanic gangs and all their members are loyal to the Mexican Mafia. The gangsters are happy and proud to be chosen to carry out a mission assigned by the Mexican Mafia member who controls the area their street or prison gang operates in. Doing work for the Mexican Mafia makes the gang in general, and the member chosen in particular, looked up to as a higher status than those not chosen to work for the Mexican Mafia member. Many gangs put a 13, or the letter M in their gang symbol, to denote their loyalty to the Mexican Mafia. A real honor is being chosen to kill for the gang. The killer's reputation goes way up when he finishes his first hit. This has been a short explanation of the Mexican Mafia, or La Hemi. I thought it is something you'll need to know when in the future I speak about individual members and leaders of the gang. It is important you understand the motivation of the individuals I'm talking about, or their actions will make no sense at all. In the weeks to come, I'll be making some videos about Hispanic gangsters, so please stay tuned if this is something that you find interesting. Gangs have a large influence in U.S. federal prisons. I've had a lot of contact with these people. Many are psycho who have no feelings or sympathy and can do almost anything to other prisoners, the guards, or members of the public. As you'll see in later videos. Now if you enjoyed this video, please hit the, the like button down there and, and stay tuned 